0: Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Hoare, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, January 13th, 2019, on the basis of selected verses from Luke chapter 3. Have you ever been in a situation in which you felt like you didn't belong? That you didn't fit in at all, that you were completely out of place? You know, it occurred to me this week just how many movies have been made that sort of revolve around that premise, where at least a large part of the plot sort of involves someone who is completely out of place. Can you think of any off the top of your head? For starters, you've got movies like E.T. and The Little Mermaid, right? One who is literally from another planet, and the other, someone who's literally a fish out of water. You've got movies like Back to the Future, where Marty McFly, who lived in 1985, went ahead to 2015, and then also back to 1955. Anyone remember Encino Man? Where a frozen caveman is thawed out and and has to figure out how to live as a teenager in present-day modern times. You've got Sister Act, where Whoopi Goldberg's character goes from being a a singer in Reno to having to live as a nun in a convent. And then, of course, there's Dorothy, who's from black-and-white rural Kansas, and then she literally drops into magical colorful wonderful world of Oz I think we're willing to watch movies like that because that storyline of someone who is out of place sort of strikes a chord with us we're happy to watch and laugh along and be happy that what's going on is going on to someone else because deep down there is almost an irrepressible desire inside of us to fit in to feel as though we are at home, to feel as though we belong. In fact, if you're anything like me, you can maybe think back to times in your life when you did things that were rather foolish, all in the interest of fitting in. Maybe you even changed the way that you talk, the way you act, the way you dress. Maybe you even did something that you knew was wrong and normally wouldn't do, but you did it anyway just to fit in. We're happy to let and watch someone not fit in in movies, but when it comes to real life, we want to belong, we want to fit in, I think we all agree that Dorothy is right when she said there's no place like home. Now, if that is, in fact, true, then I have what might sound like some bad news for you this morning. Way back when, maybe even before you even realized what was going on, something may have happened to you that you might be tempted to later on in life regret. In fact, for many of you, it wasn't just that you didn't realize what was going on. You had no idea. You didn't remember what was going on because it wasn't something that you decided to do. It was something that someone else decided was going to happen for you. In fact, we witnessed it happen again this morning. You can probably figure out that I'm talking about baptism. I know it didn't look like much. Didn't take very long. Didn't seem as though anything impressive was going on. And yet, today we're going to see that baptism has incredible power. Baptism has the power to take someone who truly fits in, who truly belongs, who truly is at home and and change all of that. It has the power to single them out, it has the power to make them completely different than they were before. And for people who have this strong, almost irrepressible desire to fit in, that maybe sounds a little bit scary. But stay with me. We're also going to find out today what a good thing this is, what a wonderful thing this is as we talk about what these verses teach us that That baptism means you no longer belong. We look at these verses from Luke chapter 3, and if we were playing that old Sesame Street game of which one doesn't belong here, I think it would be very easy to arrive at the right answer. This guy named John was sort of an odd duck. If you know anything about John, you know that he was chosen for a very special and important job. He was chosen to be the Savior's forerunner. In other words, before the Messiah sort of emerged on the public scene and began his ministry of preaching and teaching and healing, it was John's job to get the people ready for his arrival. If you've ever been to a a live taping of a game show or a talk show, you maybe know that before the show gets started, there's this guy that comes out and addresses the audience. And he tries, his his entire goal is to get them pumped up, ready to go, ready to laugh, ready to clap, and have a good time. And, And if you've ever been in that audience, you know that he's usually a pretty goofy guy. He tells a few jokes, he acts in a way that is completely goofy, he's a bit of an odd duck and in the very same way, based on what we know about John, his job of preparing the way for the Savior, getting people ready to go, based on what we hear about his diet and the way that he dressed and the way that he talked, he was an odd duck. In fact, so much so that people actually started to wonder whether maybe he was the Messiah And so as you heard, John had to very clearly point out, no, I'm not the Messiah, that's someone who is coming after me. And one of the things that John said was, I baptize you with water, but this Messiah who's coming, he baptizes you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We won't get into everything that that means, but one thing it does mean is that this coming Messiah, one of the things that he would do, one of the responsibilities that he would have is that he would hold in the palm of his hand the fire of God's judgment. It was his job to administer that judgment, to administer God's wrath against sin. In fact, John describes that using some agricultural terms that maybe need a little bit of explanation. John reminds us that when wheat is brought in from the field into the harvest, wheat went through, in those days, it went through a process called threshing. This was a process for separating the actual head of grain, the kernel of wheat, from the rest of the plant, which was known as the chaff. The kernel of grain was obviously kept and used to make things like bread, but the chaff, John tells us, went to the burn pile. And this is Jesus' job. This is the Messiah's job, John says. It's his job to separate that which has worth from that which does not, that which has value from that which does not, and to take that which has no worth and throw it on the burn pile, so to speak. Now, these days, we're not all that comfortable at times talking about God's wrath against sin and God's judgment. And so I wanted to just quickly pause and tell you what a good thing this is, that there is such a thing as divine wrath and judgment. This week, the big story in local news was that this girl named Jamie Closs, whose parents had been killed and who had been abducted all the way back in October, that she was found alive alive and healthy and that the person who did this was also apprehended that he's under, he's in custody why does a story like that why does news like that bring us such relief well yes on the one hand we're, we're very happy that she's alive and okay but on the other hand we're also very happy that someone who would do such a thing has to face justice has to face judgment has to answer for the things that they've done and all john is telling us is that yes in fact that is the case we live in a world where there is such a thing Let me give you another example, the thing that dominated national headlines this week. Once again, like the past several weeks, was all the talk about the border wall and the government shutdown. And I don't know if this is the case with you, but it's the case with me that sometimes you just don't know what to think. You don't know who to blame, you don't know who to believe, you don't know who's right and who's wrong, you don't know who is acting in your best interest and who is acting only in the aim of their own personal political power. And because of what John tells us here, to a certain extent, we can say... We don't need to worry about that all that much. We might not be able to separate wheat from chaff, worthwhile from worthless, but we do know that there is someone who can and who will. We live in a world where there is such a thing as divine wrath and divine judgment against evil. So yes, it is actually a good thing that those things exist and that Jesus himself has been given that power. And yet, as odd as it sounds, even though Jesus was given this very serious responsibility as the Messiah, up until this point, we're told, that unlike John, Jesus fit right in. Jesus blended right in with the rest of humanity up until this point in his life. And so when Jesus comes to be baptized, Luke tells us that Jesus kind of just sneaks up on the whole thing along with the rest of the crowd. In other words, there is no crowd of supporters chanting his name as he walks up there to the Jordan River. There is no press corps there to take pictures and document the entire event. There aren't secret service agents who are there to secure the perimeter. No, Jesus is completely undetected, completely unannounced. He fits right in. In fact, we're told elsewhere that up until this point, even John himself did not know the true identity of the Messiah. He didn't know that it was Jesus. But then, of course, all of that changed. After Jesus was baptized, suddenly heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit himself descended on Jesus in the form of a dove and God the Father himself Thundered his voice down from heaven and said, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So, John, the oddball, wasn't the Messiah. Jesus, the average Joe up until that point, was. And it was his baptism that changed everything. His baptism is how God made it evident. This is who Jesus is. This is what he came to do. In fact, that's just what baptism does. You heard Paul describe that in that reading from Titus chapter 3 that we heard before, how in baptism, Paul says, we are reborn. So we first come into this world on our birthday. We're born a child of our parents, and sure, that's a special and important day, but the reality is, the Bible tells us, that when we are born, we are just one more sinful child who is born to one more set of sinful parents, no different than the billions of of births and the billions of children who have come before. Sure, our parents love us, but they just can't help themselves. They want to pass along all of their good traits, right? They, they hope that we end up with one of their smiles and one of their noses and, and one of their eye colors and one of their hair colors. And they, they want to pass along their values and their priorities. They want to pass along all of those good things, but they just can't help themselves. They also pass along their worst trait. They pass along their sin. And along with that, they pass along their mortality. Every child the same. But then Paul says, when we are baptized, we are reborn. We are adopted into God's family. And as a result of that, that means that we no longer fit in. It's no surprise that after Jesus was baptized, he did what he did next. We're told that after Jesus was baptized, he went off into the wilderness all by himself for 40 days. And it's no surprise that during those 40 days... The devil, his enemy, launched a full-scale frontal assault against him, came with every temptation he could throw at him. See, out of all the people who found out who Jesus was that day, the devil, if he didn't know already, the devil certainly also found out at Jesus' baptism, which meant that the devil was going to do everything in his power to derail Jesus from what he came to do. And in the very same way, when you and I are baptized, we no longer belong. We no longer fit in. We make some very real enemies. In fact, we might think of it this way. Picture a a superstar athlete who is the absolute fan favorite of that hometown crowd. While he is playing for their sports team, they love him. They scream his name. They chant his name. They buy his jersey. They name their pets and maybe even their kids after him. They absolutely love him. But then, and we've seen this happen before, what happens when he changes teams? Suddenly they don't chant his name. They boo his name. They don't buy his jersey, they burn his jersey. In fact, we know how this goes, those of us who are Packer fans, right? This happened with Brent. I mean, I mean Brett Favre, right? Well, in the very same way, when someone gets baptized, we might think that it's this precious, special, wonderful, cozy thing. And it, it certainly is a wonderful thing that someone gets adopted into God's family. But make no mistake, on that very same day, and in that very same act, we suddenly have some very real new enemies, one in particular. And in a world that is very much under that enemy's influence, that means that we no longer belong. We no longer fit in. So what's that enemy going to do to us after we get baptized? Might he do what he did with Jesus, where it's a full-scale frontal assault? Sure, that can happen. In fact, I I think very often when an adult gets baptized, when an adult becomes a child of God later in life, that's exactly what the devil does. Suddenly, old temptations, old sins, old addictions, and old bad influences sort of reemerge with a vengeance in that person's life. But maybe, just maybe, in most cases, the devil does something very, very different. In fact, maybe especially when children get baptized at a very early age. When that person gets baptized, very often the devil is content to sort of just sit back and relax. To just sort of sit back and wait and watch as that strong, irrepressible desire inside of us, that desire to fit in, that desire to belong, goes into overdrive. That as we grow up, as we go off to school, as we become teenagers, as we become adults, as we seek romance and companionship in our lives, as we establish a family of our own and a career of our own that in all of that, that desire to fit in is so strong at work inside of us. And I'm not just talking about the specific things that we might do that we know for sure are sinful. I'm not talking about that that when we go off to school and become teenagers, we get all caught up in the world of gossip and cliques and stabbing each other in the back and bullying. I'm not talking about the fact that when we Seek romance and companionship. That we might follow the world's plan for marriage instead of following God's plan for marriage. I'm not just talking about that when we go off to work, we might think to ourselves that we can lie and cheat and steal to get ahead because everyone else is doing it. Certainly those things will very much make us fit in. I'm talking about the things that are maybe much more subtle and maybe seem much more harmless. That we would take good things, wonderful things, blessings from God, and we would turn them into ultimate things. That we would take having a nice car or a comfy house, our hobbies, our leisure activities, our forms of entertainment, all wonderful things, all wonderful blessings from God, and we would make them the most important things in our lives. That we would let those things, those good things, crowd out the best thing and the most important thing. That our priorities and our pursuits would really look no different than all those people who are actually wearing the other team's jersey and playing for the opposite side. That in that way, we would still want so much just to fit in in the world in which we live. And that doesn't mean that somehow our baptism was unimportant or that it didn't take, that it wasn't effective. In fact, that's exactly what makes baptism so necessary. See, there was one other thing that was unique about Jesus' baptism that day. Aside from all the heavenly theatrics that we don't see when someone gets baptized among us, one other thing made Jesus' baptism unique. Jesus was the only person in the history of the world to get baptized who didn't need it. Baptism washes away sin. Baptism forgives our sin. Jesus didn't have any sin. Jesus didn't need baptism for that reason. So why did he get baptized? Well, of course, he did it for us. In fact, Jesus' entire mission in coming to this world to be our Savior, was to be a part of the crowd, to make himself a part of the crowd of sinners, in fact, really to stand in the place of sinners and to take on himself all of their sin. We could very much say that the second Jesus came up out of that water, his date with the cross was set and his place in a tomb was sealed. Jesus came to this world to put himself in the place of sinners and to receive on himself the punishment that they deserve and, and clearly friends that's exactly what you and I need most not just a savior who yes is the one who holds the fire of God's judgment in his hand and is the one who is responsible for administering it but before he ever did that one who would take that very same fire and allow it to be allow it to fall on himself who would place himself under God's divine judgment just as Jesus baptism connected him to us so also our baptism now connects us to him it connects us to the death that he died for all of the times that we just go ahead and fit right in it connects us to his resurrection from the dead and the share of the inheritance that he now possesses so yes friends baptism means that you no longer belong but rather than letting that upset you celebrate. Celebrate not what you've been separated from, but celebrate what you've been joined to. Yes, baptism separates you from the crowd in which you were born, but baptism has united you to the savior of that very crowd, the one who gave his life for that crowd. Baptism means that you don't belong, but it means that you've been united to a brand new family, that God himself is your father that you've been connected to Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit has been placed in your heart. Baptism means that you don't belong, but it means that you're exactly where you need to be. Connected to Jesus, your home. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.